Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. Question for you. What are the most common characteristics that every successful person at your company? Now think of those characteristics and write them down as standard operating procedures. This is critically important because when we operate under the same frequency, pace, and purpose, growth happens. But this can change instantly when we add a new person to the team. Too often, we hastily add a person to the mix without understanding how they really operate daily. Assuming that they will be the answer to all of our challenges because of the skills they are bringing to the table. Now, there is nothing more critical to hiring success than aligning people first, skills second. This means investing the time to dig deeper when conducting your interview process. Understanding not just what a person has accomplished, but the details of exactly how it was done and why it was approached in that manner. I'm Rick Gerard and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win-win the strongest people by sharing insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Alan Jones. Now, Alan is at the helm of Bambi, a new type of business built on the innovative premise that every small business should have a dedicated HR manager. Now, this concept was derived from Jones's previous working experience with and growing up around small business owners. In 2021, Goldman Sachs celebrated Alan Jones as one of the 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs at its Builders Plus Innovation Summit. And for three years running, Forbes has named Bambi a top startup employer in the U.S. In 2022, it announced Bambi as a top five company in Los Angeles, which is what makes Alan the perfect expert for today's topic. Alan, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Rick, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, my friend. So we are going to talk a little bit about characteristics and understanding your own company's unique characteristics and then how to translate those into your interview and hiring process to ensure that the people you're bringing on board are in alignment with your organization. Sounds like a plan to me, something I know a little bit about. I know you do a good job of it. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about kind of the challenge that you might have discovered as you were going through building Bambi. I think you shared with me at one point you hired a a good group of people and about 50% of them ended up not working out right off the bat. You know, so I think first, like the, the, I, I, I used to characterize myself as a really good um, judge of talent and character, right? Like I, I'd like walk around, I'd tell people about it, right? I'd be like, oh, my hiring close rate is through the roof. When I decide I want a candidate, 85% of them say yes. And I have a, I do a really good job of picking who the stars are going to be, um, and that was actually true for a really long time. So when I was you know, chief marketing officer at ZipRecruiter, um, it was actually really true when I was running a specific functional area, right? Um, but that skill or the, the way of characterizing that skill started to break down as the company, as CEO, as the company got bigger, as the problems got more complex, as the, 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 the problems on every team that they had to solve to create value for customers were like in my periphery, not directly inside of, you know, my ability to see really clearly. And so my, my ability to just on gut instinct, hire great talent broke down. Um, and I found myself in a situation where I was trying to hire functional executives for different parts of the org um, and using only gut and no process to make those decisions. And I went from a, you know, 80% close rate, 85% success rate hirer to a, 
you know, 90% close rate, but 50% fail rate. Uh, so I got better at the close, but even worse at predicting who was going to be successful. How did that affect the company? I mean, that could have had devastating consequences. Man, those are actually two unique questions, right? Like one of them is like, how did it affect me as a leader? When some, when a specific characteristic that you thought that for a decade, you told yourself you were good at suddenly looks to be evaporating. <laughs> right. So there's like, there's like a, there's like a psychological thing that happens which I'm, yeah, I'm a straight shooter. We're gonna have, we're gonna have the most honest conversation you've ever had on the show today. So, uh, and so that's, that's one component. And then there's the, like, um, how did it impact the company? And so I'll do the first one, I'll do the, the personal one first, cause it's like the most uncomfortable and I, I'm a glutton for discomfort. Um, it like, it was earth shattering actually, because I had to go to board, you know, I campaigned for these folks, I hired these folks, I put my name behind these folks. I sent all company emails. I did town halls on the success of these folks. I built excitement internally about these folks. I took these folks to the board. I got the board to buy in for these folks. And I put all my weight behind a story that they were going to be successful only to come back four, six months later and say, um, whoa, I was not only completely wrong, they're a fucking disaster. You know, like, you know, not only was I kind of wrong, they're a horrible human or what, you know, whatever that juxtaposition is, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like small misses. They were big ones in some ways. And I think as a founder, you, you start to, you like to think that you were better at most at certain things. And hiring was one of those things for me. Um, and so it created a, a bit of introspection. You almost experienced a bit of like an ego death. In order for you to get past that, you have to have a rebirth and realize that, hey, I need to change. I need to grow with the organization. I need to change what I'm doing and do a better job. That is really well said. So first of all, being a founder, um, it, it, it is basically suffering a thousand ego deaths. <laughs> death by a thousand cuts or what have you? A hundred percent. It is either you become a really evolved human or you become a sociopath, right? <laughs> and the reason why that's true is because you have to be able to process those ego deaths. Um, and either you process them or you outright reject them. Outright rejection, sociopath. Processing, you know, <laughs> you end up becoming a pretty decent human being on the other side. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's right. So like I had to, I had to unmarry myself with how I defined what I was good at and mourn that, mourn losing that characteristic, that definition, and then being completely okay with trusting that I can still evolve to build those skills again, based on the demands of the company now. Like it's okay to, it's okay to not be okay, good at those anymore because you're not a 10 person startup. We've got 200 employees. It's okay to shed that and then take a hard look at what you're doing and rebuild that skill. So that was the personal front. What about the company side? How did that affect the company? It, on the company side, um, I, I'd say I'm still paying for it, right? I, I'd say like, we've been much better this year. So this is 2021, we had this kind of deep introspection. Well, Al, Alan had a deep introspection and then the company more broadly had to have kind of an introspective process around why we're not really being thoughtful enough around recruiting leaders. Um, and, uh, and this year we've been much better and we'll talk about the process as to how, but even though we've been better all year, 
leadership roles are so high leverage, we're still paying for the losses that we accrued in 2020, 2021. I'm glad you brought that up. That's such a good point because I don't think that we realize that, that those repercussions are going to carry through for a couple of years and you still feel them. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's just, it's, it's why it's hard to answer. How was it hard for the company? Because it still is right. So I haven't, I haven't been able to look at it and package it and be like, here's exactly how I'm still feeling it. Um, but I will tell you uh, th some very specific ways, right? Um, being the CEO and founder and leading a company of 200 people, it doesn't matter how much magic and special sauce you have in the world. You cannot be the champion of all of everything. You have to have leaders who are champions of their own functions. Um, and and you, you know, we build this facade that if you're a strong founder CEO, that'll be enough to pull the energy of the company um, in a single direction. Yeah, that's right. Up until about 28 people. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, then it, and then it breaks. People in finance want a fantastic CFO that they respect to with a visionary founder that they can get behind. People in the people operations org want someone who knows much more about people than me. Um, to follow because that's how they're modeling their careers after. So employees have this duality. They want to work at a company that has a mission and a founder that dreams big so that their work can have purpose. But they also have a tactical day-to-day -day building of their own careers to pay their bills in real time. And they look to their functional experts for that type of guidance. Um, we were missing a lot of that. Shoot, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. For our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. You'll find additional content and resources to order your copy of Healing Career Wounds. Let it be your company's secret weapon to landing the strongest talent. We're talking to Alan Jones. We're talking a little bit about some of the challenges that he faced as building Bambi. But more importantly, which we're starting to get into right now, is that your company's unique characteristics and how to carry those through into the interview process. So let's talk a little bit about that. Alan, when we talked offline, you talked about really starting to kind of build and think about characteristics that are important to the organization and build your process around that. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, the... Um the, I think that if I had to characterize what, our, what, what we were failing at in, in a single kind of line or two, it was um, as you scale more problems, you, you know, for every one, one thing you solve, three new problems introduce yourselves, introduce themselves, right? It's like, it's like remember the movie, The Gremlins, right? Fucking you, you water one of them and then there's like nine. <laughs> that is basically problems. Yes. That is problems in a startup. Um, and... Uh, and so one of the most natural things to do, which is a trap, which is what we did, is you start to hire leaders based on the problems you have, not, by, not based on the opportunity that they can create, right? Opportunistic value versus current pain. We were hiring only based on the pain we were in, not the opportunity of what a new leader could bring into the organization. And the problem with that is if you only hire based on the pain you're in, you're only hiring based on the problems you can see now. What about the problems that are going to come up tomorrow that you can't see? On Wednesday, my foot hurts. If I only, you know, take a medicine that's specifically for, for that pain, by Thursday, I've got a whole nother ailment and pain. And I'm like, oh man, I need a whole nother solution. Or and so that was problematic. And, and that, was the that was the first thing that made us step back and say, all right, what are we doing wrong, right? Like, what are, the, what, what are we missing here? And so 
here were the following things we were missing. A, I hit on it earlier. Um, Alan could no longer hire in a vacuum, right? That was kind of realization number one. Um, B, um, we had to abandon what I call the leadership savior complex, um, where uh, you think that a single hire is going to solve all of your problems. Oh, man, as soon as we get a <laughs> X, Y, and Z in here, this is all going to be great. Or, oh, that is a fallacy. Um, and, and, and you cannot, you know, let problems sit, bake, and multiply on the hope that you're going to nail the next hire and that person's going to solve everything perfectly. Um, right. So that was, that was number two, that was, that was B and then C the realization that most of our team were a players. You know, I, I kept looking for external leaders thinking like, I got to find people better than the team I have now, which is good. But, but we had already done that for many years. And when I looked around my team, you know, the five execs I had around the table, they were A pluses, right? With not on a curve, right? They were A pluses uniquely graded. And so we shifted from a savior complex to more of a, um, you know, I think I said to you, a you know, a first draft pick. Who are we, who, who are the athletes we're looking for who we'd be blessed to have and who would also be blessed to be on our team? Um, so that shift led us to thinking about characteristics as things that needed to be defined. I think one of the things you said to me offline was that you need to start thinking about your companies or Olympic sports teams and not government service agencies. We need to start thinking of it in terms of we're not there to fill a seat. We're there to put a player in the game. Yeah, it's a, that, is a very, that, is a, that is a very famous Alan Jones quote. I say it inside of the company all the time. Um, and can, I, can we just unpack what that means for a second for folks? Let's delve into that. A, a company is, we're optimizing towards a thing, right? We're optimizing towards shareholder value, customer value, mission achievement, um, kind of career development. But we've got a specific, and on, all companies have usually different missions, right? All marching towards completely different things. And it takes, um, and so what that means is you have to bring people in who are aligned with, with that mission and optimizing in that direction. We're not a government agency. And when I say that, I mean, we're not built for everybody, right? Like Bambi isn't a place where everyone gets service from an employee perspective. Like, you know, like there's no, there's no pre-tax dollars that have created that circumstance for you with a private organization. We are unique and the people we recruit are unique and everyone doesn't have to work here and everyone should not work here. This is the wrong fucking job for some people. Um, and it's the best job in the world for others. Right. Um, and so being really clear about that, like watering it down for some people just to make it generally OK for everybody else is the opposite of passion. Um, and so, like, our job is to be really honest with ourselves and our people about that. You know, what? I think this is a trap that we often fall into. And I think every small company is completely unique. They have their own set of challenges. They have their own value system, their own culture. And you have to make sure that you bring on people that do well in that environment. Otherwise, you're going to end up suffering for a very, very long time. I believe that when we drill down into values, the core values of the company, the, the truth is that people that align with that do well. They excel and they do really well in the organization. And the people that don't, those are the ones that come in and cause problems. We're doing them a disservice by not putting them in an environment where they're going to thrive and vice versa. I think that's exactly right. And I, you know, I think the 
the trap that a lot of tech companies have fallen into is to try and it's creating this, you know, homogenous experience where it's like working at Google is just like working at Facebook and working at Facebook is just like working at Twitter. Everybody gets snacks and the, and the benefits are unlimited and you don't have to work any more than eight hours a day. And it's like, oh, okay, great. That's fine. Those are large companies though. And they can do that and they should do that because they're going to attract the people that they need to attract. But God, for a startup, you can't do that. It's impossible. Well, look, they, they should do that within reason. But then when, you know, but then the reason why they have to, you know, lay off 20 to 30% of their staffs when there's a market downturn is because of behaviors that are related to that, right? Like not truly holding their team accountable at mass and creating a facade that you can make $180,000 while only working seven hours a day. And that is something that we should all just expect, except when reality comes calling and people have to lose their jobs. So I would say that what they have created is a moment in time where right now they're being held accountable to make hard choices and let people go because of that facade they've created. Couldn't agree with you more. Let's delve a little bit deeper into the piece that you were talking about, your hiring structure. You had mentioned Alan can't make hiring decisions in a vacuum. You had to empower your people to make the decisions, but let's talk about the interview structure that you put in place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went on the search and I said, okay, well, I can't make them all myself. And if I believe my team is already great, and, you know, and if I believe that, like, that, that if I, if I let go of this leadership savior complex, how would I restructure the hiring process? And so the way it used to work is Alan would meet a candidate um, on instinct, would like the candidate, maybe take the candidate to dinner or lunch or coffee, um, would get to know this candidate personally, and then um, would ask a series of questions around what I thought the, the functional nature of the candidate's job was meant to be. And then um, kind of within a day, make a decision on if I thought that person was right for the role. Um, by the way, that's great to do when there's 12 people because speed um, is currency, right? So you try to move as fast as possible. And sometimes that makes sense. I think you got lucky, though, because you've been able to attract good people. A lot of us founders don't have that innate sense to be able to dig underneath the hood and understand, hey, this I have an A player. I've seen a lot of companies where they end up talking to people and they talk themselves into hiring somebody because, well, we got somebody who's willing to do the work. That's where it gets really dangerous, especially at the smaller stages. It's actually it's a really good point. I think the founder has to know and believe in their their core competencies and gifts. You know, even though mine did not scale, one of them is is diving deep into talent and vetting um, at a smaller scale, right? And that's just, and it, it worked for a period of time. Well, then that broke. And so we rolled out the following changes. Um, a, why do we, A, it was like, why do we keep doing this? So I took my team away to an offsite. We spent eight hours in a room, my leadership team. Um, and I thought, well, these folks are already part of the Olympic team. And they deserve to tell me what's been wrong with the people we've been bringing into the organization and why there's been a misalignment. I can't just ask myself that question. I've got to shut up and I've got to ask my team and I've got to let them say some honest things to me that made me, made me, get, made me uncomfortable about what I've been, what I've been doing wrong. So that was step one. Um, that was fun. Ego death number two. <laughs> ego death, you man. <laughs> death by a thousand ego death paper cuts. So, you know, so they, gracefully kicked me for three hours. Um, and then, and then we moved to part two, which was still on the same, um, offsite. And it was, what are the characteristics of our current leadership team that we all really cherish? 
And so for a team that's really introspective and that normally looks at its blemishes, I gave us for a second permission to look at why we're great, right? Why are we uniquely good? And I think some of the best teams don't spend a lot of time on that. We look for problem after problem and we could, we're on this continuous improvement journey. So giving a high performing team the space to just, you know, toot their own horn for a second. Um, and we mapped out a list of characteristics that either we were great at or that we cherish. Um, and we broke those into what are now our eight characteristics of leadership um, for Bambi. Um, and then the last part of the process is we introduced a suite of questions to check for those characteristics. And a form we formalized a committee style hiring process where every incoming executive meets multiple leaders um, across the stage and everyone has an equal vote into the process. So give me an example of what maybe one or two of your characteristics of leadership values are. Yeah, so uh, one of them is we call communication mastery. When I was 20, one of my first product bosses, uh, I was his product chief of staff and I, my job was to send him updates every Sunday night on what happened on the product team so that he could be ready on Monday morning to present to the rest of the executive team. And so the very first time I had to do this, I wrote a giant long email. It had every detail. You didn't miss a beat, right? Didn't miss a beat. Everything was in this email. I was super proud of it. it took me like five hours to craft. Um, and he responded within about 10 minutes and he said 50% less <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> and I spiraled for two hours thinking like, what does that mean? 50% less, everything in here is important. And then I cut the email down, I sent it again, and he responded within 30 minutes and he said 50% less. Um, and what he was doing was telling me that words aren't value, um, their resonance is the value, right? Like what, what you get across is the value, not the count. Um, and I've held that with me for 15, 16 years. And so communication mastery means we look for folks who subscribe um, to that belief, which is you can communicate complex concepts um, fairly uh, easily in written form um, and in spoken form. And it means you retain context equally as well. So when someone else is speaking, you don't answer before the question's done. Um, you don't only hear half the question, you hear the whole thing, you process it, and then you answer it fairly directly. That sounds super like, man, that seems table stakes. Holy shit. That is not table stakes. No, not at all. Yeah, it's not. So that's one of them. I've had so many conversations where you ask somebody a question and they answer like half the question and move on to something else. So they don't even answer the question, right? I mean, how many times does that happen in the course of doing an interview? 70% of the time. <laughs> you know, 70% of the time I'll ask an executive, in, an executive in an interview, I'll say, hey, tell me about your personal life. I was like, hey, you know, my name's Alan, I'm CEO and founder of the company. We're excited for you to be here. We'd like to start this out with something light. Tell us um, the Cliff Notes version on your personal life and your professional life. And, and the immediate response is, my first job was at this company. My second <laughs> accomplishment was at this company. My third job was at this company. I'm finished completely disregarding or not hearing the fact that you asked them about their personal life. And that's flagged to us, number one, that the person either isn't listening um, or doesn't care. Or they go into default mode, which they're used to. Because usually the first question out of most interviewers' mouth is, walk me through your resume. 
And I think that's like the laziest opener that you could possibly do, but everybody does it over and over again. You could interview at the same company with 10 different people and they all use the resume as a crutch and ask that same question. I think that's exactly right. I actually have a rule, which is I don't take resumes to interviews. That's a great rule. I flag the resume. I look at the resume. I read it. If it's enough for you to get the meeting, you get the meeting. And then we have a conversation, not a kind of line by line articulation of, of a resume. That's such a great point. Just outline for me the interview structure that you have now. Yeah. So now is, is a, um, every, uh, every new leader meets with myself and a selected committee of other executives for 45 minutes for casual dialogue. So for, if you report to Alan, you meet with myself, my CFO, my chief customer officer, and my chief people officer in the same, in the same meeting. Um, at the end of that meeting, we then take our scorecards and we reference our eight leadership characteristics and we all go one by one and we talk about how we think they scored against those characteristics with subjective context about why we've scored them that way. Are you looking for evidence? What do you mean you're looking for evidence? Are you pulling out evidential context to say, okay, well, rather than, hey, well, I feel like this person doesn't demonstrate this because of this, it's more based on that answer, these three things aren't coming into compliance with what we're looking for. Exactly right. So, so part of it is a hard score. And part of it is we're using our judgment to justify why we think someone scores high in communication mastery or not. That part, like the judgment part, is actually pretty free-flowing. Now, why can you do that? Because we believe all of our leaders are already A players. So they can define how, you know, each of those characteristics as we go through. Um, and so just to give you like two more, for, so it makes the context more clear. One of them is communication mastery. Another one is logic-based leadership, which means does the person make decisions based on emotion or logic? Um, and, th and then another one is broad outcome objectivity. Does the person care where a really good answer comes from, where the solution comes from, which team, right? That one's checking for politicking, right? Do I care if the marketing team is what helped us get to revenue goal? Or do I care if the sales team is what helped us get to revenue goal? Or do I just care that the company hit its goal? Um, and so that one is really, really important because most folks grow up in companies where they're jockeying for real estate and ownership um, and attention and praise. And they like to bring those practices into your business and we are an apolitical organization. Especially for a smaller company, if you're not a political organization, like that kills company. Really, the ultimate goal is that the company be successful as a whole. Doesn't matter if the idea came from the secretary or the person who takes out the trash. Embrace it, own it, and go with it. Alan, we're getting pretty close on time. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into the business today? Three takeaways. Okay, one, I would say as a founder, you know, Ask yourself if you were uniquely the problem in hiring. <laughs> it's, it's a hard thing to, to ask yourself, but sometimes the gifts that got you to where you are are actually the curses that are preventing you from progressing. Um, and being able to take a hard look at that is, is something that I think is important. The things you brought to the table to scale may not be scaling with the organization. Um, the second is set up committees. Set up committees, set up committees, all while knowing that ultimately, look, you're the CEO. You can decide to overrule your team if you want to. But I will tell you, since setting up these hiring committees, never have I overruled a unanimous decision. So if three folks on my committee say we don't like this person, never have I decided, well, we're going to meet them anyways, or we're going to move them, we're going to make an offer anyways. Um, because those people on my team are thoughtful. 
and they can normally flag things to me that I had never thought of myself. And so even though I didn't see it myself, normally they raise something to me that once they highlight, I did see it. And then the third um, is make sure that you are aligned. Um, so once you decide to hire someone, we send everyone, it goes to a vote, all the executives weigh in. It does not have to be unanimous, but we ask you a grading scale. Hard yes, soft yes, neutral, soft no, hard no. And so we use that to determine if we make an offer to someone, depending on what the average was. The person has to average a soft yes to get an offer. But if they offer a neutral or lower, they don't. That's a great set of rules. Alan, thanks so much for your time investment today. I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, find Bambi, all that good stuff? Yeah, you can find me personally. Um, it's Alan D. Jones on LinkedIn. Um, or at Bambi.com, that's bam to the BWE.com um, for all your HR needs. All right, I want to thank you for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this shows for you. We want to continue to bring you valuable content week after week. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickettstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Coco Brown. Coco is the founder and CEO of Athenan Alliance. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Gerard.